Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Violet Podcast, the first of our new fortnightly format. Today on the pod we're going to be getting a little bit abstract and discussing the uh, important concept in liberal political philosophy of tolerance uh, in preparation for a series of podcasts over the next few weeks on the culture wars. As we continue to wade into controversial territory, it would be lovely to be kept grounded by the thoughts, opinions, criticisms and comments of our listeners. So if you do have anything to say, please do get in touch via Twitter through the handle at underscore the violet underscore, by email to contact.theviolet at gmail.com or via our website, which is www.theviolet.net. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the episode. The first question that we need to ask ourselves is, of course, what is tolerance? Uh, And before we answer that, we should say that this is not um, a sort of hard and fast technical definition. Like a lot of the big fuzzy uh, political philosophy concepts that we discuss on The Violet, like justice or freedom, there is no hard and fast rule as to what these things mean, and these are our conceptions and in the sort of uh, 1990s BBC presenter style other conceptions of tolerance are available Um, but nevertheless we do need to uh, establish some sort of definition before we can move on so what is tolerance? So the way that I would define tolerance is it's a it's a willingness to accept that other people may have different beliefs and may act in different ways to you but that you should still accept the fact that you know they have those beliefs they want to act in those ways and you should let them do it without attempting to restrain or constrain them from acting or believing whichever way they see fit something which i think is very commonly conflated with tolerance is letting other people do and think things that you want to do and things that you already think that is not tolerance. Tolerance specifically concerns things that you disagree with, and not even necessarily disagree with mildly, things that you might find entirely abhorrent or repulsive or disgusting. If someone else believes that or wants to act in that way, and it is not causing harm to other people, then you should accept their right to do so. That is the crux of what tolerance is. If someone else is not harming another individual, then you basically should not attempt to constrain or restrain them in any fashion. And that's obviously necessary in the world in which we live. Um, One of our favourite questions to ask uh, students of politics, especially A-level students who are thinking of applying to do politics at university after they've been studying it for two years, is, what is politics? Um, And our answer for that is, well, in the world in which we live, we have all sorts of different people with all sorts of different opinions, uh, approximately 8 billion different people with approximately 8 billion different ideas about how the world works and how the world should work and what sort of decisions we should make as a group. And so we need to reconcile those. And that immediately should show you why tolerance is necessary, because a world in which tolerance is not necessary is a world in which uh, everyone believes the same things and holds the same values and the same ideologies and morals. Um, 
And that's not a world that has ever existed, uh, nor is it a world that will ever exist, um, barring some sort of extraordinary outburst of violence in which we kill off everyone who doesn't agree with us. Um, so tolerance must be necessary, or at least some degree of tolerance must be necessary for any functioning society with different people with different ideas to coexist. And again, as I pointed out previously, tolerance crucially concerns those with whom you have differences of opinion, even if you find their views absolutely reprehensible. Again, in terms of views and actions which only concern the individual uh, or which are consensual, this is not something in which we should try to interfere. The only way to impose a uniform moral cultural code on society is, as we said, through intense and extreme violence. And even then it is not a permanent solution because it is almost inevitable that new cultural and moral variations will arise again. Nevertheless, there are clearly certain things, uh, certain actions which we should ban or which we should restrain, namely those that cause harm to others. So we are not for a minute suggesting that we should tolerate someone going out and robbing someone else or stealing from them uh, or, or murdering them. Those are not things that we should tolerate. Actions which cause harm do not fall under the banner of tolerance. A much more difficult question is, should we tolerate intolerant views? Now, the the distinction between physically causing someone harm and not causing someone harm is, is fairly objective. You either have or you haven't. With views, it's much more tricky. There are clearly some views on one end of the spectrum which, you know, some people might find offensive, such as, I don't like fish. There may be some fish eaters or pescatarians who, who really strongly believe that fish is the best food on earth and would be very offended by that, but there is no suggestion that we should ban that view or that we should try to restrict it. On the other end of the spectrum, there are potentially some views uh, which do have the capacity to cause intense harm, such as, for example, ex-ethnic group is destroying the country, uh, ex-ethnic group is, is conspiring to kill us, we must kill them first. That view is clearly very dangerous and has the capacity to cause immense physical harm. In the middle of that is a bit of a grey fuzzy area, uh, and that is what the bulk of today's podcast is concerned with. Where do we draw the line on intolerant views? Where do views become dangerous? And within a liberal framework, can we coherently say that certain views should not be tolerated because they are themselves a threat to tolerance? And that's the big question to which we will return multiple times in this podcast and we'll talk about different uh, examples and, and different ways of thinking about the answer to that question. Before we get there though, we do need to return to our definition of tolerance a little though and think about where the line is between tolerating and not tolerating someone else's opinion. So, for example, uh, Jerome here is an Arsenal fan, which is an opinion that I find abhorrent, as we said at the beginning, um, and therefore this is an issue of tolerance. How do I treat him? And there are various sort of uh, responses that I could take to him being an Arsenal fan. I could uh, talk about what a terrible uh, opinion of his this is on a podcast. I can tell him to his face that it's a terrible opinion. I can try and persuade him uh, out of this opinion and into a, into a better one. Um, I can aggressively insult him for his opinion. I can attack him. I can try and get him arrested. Now, clearly, the, the later part of that list is intolerant of his 
um, rather misguided view. But where exactly the line is, is difficult to argue. And, and similarly, Paul being a Tottenham fan, um, if I were to feel as, as strongly about Tottenham as he does about Arsenal, which I of course do, uh, and I were to try and persuade him and argue about Tottenham and insult them, again, this would not fall under the banner of being intolerant because in any functioning multicultural pluralistic society, there will be disagreements and there will therefore be dialogue around those disagreements. And no matter how strongly you believe or hold a certain view, someone else challenging that view is not in itself intolerant. Someone holding a different view to you, trying to convince you to change your mind, even if they do it in a very crude, aggressive, what you might find disrespectful way, is not being intolerant towards you. So that isn't really the kind of behavior we're talking about here when we're discussing should we tolerate intolerant beliefs. So, so in which case an intolerant society would be one in which you do not have the legal right uh, to hold or articulate those views where they contradict with other people's views. But again, this is not necessarily a completely hard and fast line. And there are many um, parts of the world, many countries and many ideas where uh, having a particular idea in that country or, or belonging to a part of a particular group or whatever might not be explicitly illegal, but in which the government or uh, major groups within that country still do uh, persecute and disadvantage and go after people for having that particular view. For example, in, in China, uh, practicing Islam in a way which is not approved by the Chinese state, or indeed any religion really, uh, if it's not approved by the Chinese state, is not strictly illegal, uh, but it's something which would be likely to see you exposed to state persecution uh, similarly, in, in Saudi Arabia, for example, it is not officially illegal, I think, to be Shia. Um, but being Shia or being an outspoken Shia cleric um, basically puts you in the crosshairs of the Saudi state. Um, and in these instances, whilst we don't have official legal barriers, we still have de facto or functional in practice uh, barriers to free expression. Again, we would say those are intolerant societies. Returning to the big question at the beginning, it does seem that there is something of a paradox to tolerance, that if we allow um, anybody to have any view or any ideology, uh, at first that does seem like a very sort of pleasant, open and liberal society, but it may well be the case that there are people within that society who hold um, really dangerous views that threaten that tolerant uh, society and that if those people are allowed to air their views and act on their views if they are particularly um, violent and intolerant of other people that that tolerant society may be taken away due to the fact that it tolerated those ideas. Um, and this is a, a paradox that, that liberal philosophers as early as Mill in the 19th century have flagged up um, and, and um, kind of political philosophers and liberal philosophers have been grappling with uh, well into the 21st century. So the answer which is given by, by Rawls, uh, a modern liberal uh, writing in the 20th century, uh, is that certain views may indeed be intolerant. Intolerant in the sense that they refuse to accept the, the existence or, or the, the righteousness of other people and believe them to be horrific moral aberrations or the actions which they perform or the beliefs that they hold to be horrendous aberrations. So 
in that sense, and if we classify those views as intolerant, what rules would say is that in itself that is not the grounds, that is not a good grounds for banning them. That people are perfectly entitled to hold intolerant views, um, even uh, views which view you know entire classes of people as as you know objectionable. Nevertheless, rules also points out that where these views begin to question the legal foundations of tolerance, that is where we should not accept them. So what, one example might be Nazi or fascist uh, beliefs, and there is obviously something of a spectrum there. If you generally just have conspiracist beliefs about like a purist ethnostate, um, but they go no further than very kind of vague, fuzzy beliefs, that would probably fall under the banner of what you know rules would rules would tolerate he would say that's an intolerant view but that's something that should be allowed if it's a more developed um view which openly asserts that we should try to overthrow uh the liberal foundations of society and that we should try and implement these these views in practice uh, that we should undo the legal framework of tolerance um and uh, kind of ethnically cleanse a state then those views, if implemented, have the potential to completely undo the fabric of tolerance and therefore should not in themselves be tolerated. There is, of course, a grey area here, and the distinction is maybe not as clear as rules would like it to be, um, because obviously people don't just develop one view and then hold it in isolation. People's views change over time. Uh, and indeed, it is it's fairly safe, I think, to point out that if someone begins with very vague beliefs about the necessity of a purist ethnostate, um, they will probably be swept up into believing that all other ethnicities must be eradicated uh, or deported from the country. My view would be that rules probably tends a little too far uh, on the side of tolerating the intolerant, um, and that if a view is deeply intolerant and, and has the potential to mutate or evolve into something which becomes a threat to the legal, uh, the legal fabric or the legal uh, enforcement of tolerance, then it should not be tolerated. That is to say, even kind of very basic, undeveloped, unstructured Nazi or fascist views should not be tolerated in society because they have the potential to mutate into something much worse. Um, with regards to Nazism and fascism, this is generally the Western European approach you are not allowed in most of continental Europe um, to display swastikas or any other uh, Nazi or fascist imagery. You can't do the, Hit you can't do the Hitler salute. Um, you are not allowed to make reference to many specific Nazi concepts uh, in public and political discourse. The American model uh, is, I guess, a little more tolerant of the intolerance, uh, and those things are generally covered under the banner of the First Amendment and free speech. Um, this is a kind of unsupported, uh, unstatistically verifiable hot take, but I would say that the drift to the far right has been much worse in America than it has in Western Europe for that reason, uh, and because of the tolerance of low-level fascist views which have then evolved into worse fascist views in the US. And again, hopefully listeners can see how fuzzy a line this is. Um, in my opinion, any iteration of Nazism, even in the, in the softest sort of sense, uh, is based on the idea that certain groups of people don't have a position in society uh, simply because of, of who they are. Um, and it's not anything to do with a particular moral code or a particular set of values. Uh, it's simply saying that, that society should 
consist of people with X characteristic, um, usually, well, a racial characteristic, uh, and that's not something people have any control over. So that belief is inherently intolerant to my view because it's arguing that certain groups of people um, should just be ejected from society in some way as opposed to um, what we normally talk about with tolerance, which would be different uh, moral or often religious views where one group of people have uh, share one particular moral code that a certain set of actions is, is good and a certain set of actions is bad and another group of people, another culture or another religion uh, share a different set of values that a different set of things are good and a different set of things are bad and that there's some overlap there. The cliched example, certainly on the violence, would be uh, pork consumption, which is considered perfectly acceptable, nay, downright delicious in some cultures uh, and highly unacceptable in others. And this is uh, a classic example of why tolerance is necessary, that for a multicultural society to function, it's necessary that those people who believe eating pork to be morally wrong uh, are able to uphold that themselves and able to avoid eating pork themselves but are also tolerant of others pork consumption and vice versa that people who do consume pork um, don't feel the need to try and uh, push it on or enforce it on uh, those who don't and I mean from personal experience I have met people on both sides of this divide who are intolerant on this particular issue and do seem to have a problem with the other group's way of viewing it but in the vast majority of cases I think this is a good example of uh, an issue on which the British public at large um, shows a lot high level of tolerance. Um, of course in the closely related issue of halal meat um, th there's a great degree of intolerance uh, amongst the amongst the great British public. When we're, when we're thinking about these examples we've just put forward most people would generally find it fairly easy to to accept tolerance in those instances even if they find the action abhorrent because it's not something which is being done to another person or it's not something which seems to kind of directly affect them where people might find it harder to tolerate an action or where we might argue that tolerance should not apply that action is in itself intolerant it threatens the foundation of tolerance uh, is in cases where someone is directing um, an action or directing speech towards another person uh, in such a way that we argue it undermines, uh, it fundamentally undermines tolerance. Um, hate speech is is one such example. Uh, so someone saying that a particular ethnic group is uh, less intelligent, for example, or that a particular ethnic group should not be able to, to vote, uh, or that a certain sexuality is inherently immoral, um, or saying, for example, that uh, a certain gender is less intelligent. Um, those kinds of examples of hate speech could well be classified as intolerant and we are then faced with the dilemma of whether or not we should legislate against them because they undermine the foundations of tolerance. And this obviously links back strongly to a topic that we've discussed a few times before in the podcast, uh, which is freedom of speech, uh, what it is and isn't acceptable to say, uh, and one the rule that we've often come down on then is about uh, violence and harm and intent to harm and that speech that either um, encourages or incites violence is is beyond the pale and, and should be restricted uh, but speech that falls short of that should not and I think you can uh, come to a similar conclusion 
with intolerant speech. You don't necessarily have to, but you can come to a similar conclusion that um, speech which is uh, offensive, immoral, abhorrent, uh, is not necessarily over the line, but speech which uh, pushes an intolerant agenda and argues that a certain group of people do not have a right to exist in this country or do not have a right to life uh, would be beyond the pale, would be uh, intolerant and pushing that intolerance on other groups and would therefore be uh, unacceptable at a legal level. I would perhaps go a little further and say that, yes, definitely that that should be illegal, uh, but also offensive speech in a context where you have no ability to recuse yourself from it or to avoid it once you know it's there um, should also be illegal. For example, if someone is, you know, wandering around the street shouting shouting racial slurs, um, you could walk away from them. And whilst I would find someone shouting racial slurs at me, um, abhorrent if I could just walk away from them, I do not think that should be illegal, although it is uh, clearly designed to offend um, and, and maybe intolerant. Um, but were I in a job, for instance, and a, a colleague was shouting those racial slurs at me, and I don't really have a way to, to avoid them because I work with them, um, then that, I think, should fall under the category of illegal intolerance, uh, even though it isn't um, necessarily a threat of physical harm. Um, I would put that under the same bracket of harassment and say that kind of harassing uh, intolerant comments should also be banned under the law. That also links quite nicely with something else we discussed uh, on the podcast a very long time ago now, which was um, blasphemy and and the right to blaspheme uh, in the context of, of the Batley Grammar fiasco. Um, and that revolved around pictures of the Prophet Muhammad, uh, which obviously exist. Uh, there are plenty of them on the internet. If you want to look at them, go and Google them and go and have a look. Uh, if you would find looking at them extremely offensive, do not go and have a look at them. Uh, it is people's right to draw whatever they want to draw. But given that that image is offensive to, to certain groups of people, following someone around with that image, um, sending that image to them repeatedly, etc., would be crossing a line that simply creating the image in the first place is not. Or, or indeed, in the case of the, the Batley grammar uh, fiasco, showing it to people in a context that they can't escape it because it's in a, a formal school lesson would also be beyond the pale um, because they have no choice in terms of whether or not to view it or whether or not to, to excuse themselves from the situation. We should, of course, consider the other side of the argument and think about uh, criticisms of tolerance as an idea and tolerance as an ideal uh, in society. And one of the most, one of the most significant, or um, at least a critique that wraps up a lot of different criticisms of tolerance, is that it's overly culturally relativist. So what do we mean by culturally relativist? Well, cultural relativism is an idea about what is moral in different societies. So given that there is no uh, objective universal standard of morality that applies to uh, all people and all groups around the world and throughout history, um, but different cultures and different societies have come up with their own sets of moral rules and moral guidance and what is right and what is wrong. Um, cultural relativism is the idea that within those different societies, within those different cultures, what those cultures hold to be morally correct is, within those cultures, morally correct. 
and what other cultures hold to be morally correct is within those morally correct, even if those ideas directly contradict each other. Um, the example I used when trying to teach this to a philosophy class recently was that um, in the religion of the Aztec Empire, in the sort of 15th, 16th century, in, in what is now Mexico, um, it was seriously believed by just about everybody that the sun god required a blood sacrifice uh, to continue to sort of be, uh, and that without sacrificing victims to the sun god, the sun would not rise, uh, then obviously crops would not grow, it would be uh, eternal night, and, and everyone would of course uh, die, that would be the apocalypse. So to stave off the apocalypse, um, Aztec priests would frequently uh, ritually sacrifice people to the sun god, and often these were captives of, of war or, or criminals or whoever, uh, but sometimes people would uh, particularly sort of zealous Aztecs would would volunteer to be sacrificed and and this was seen as a, a great honor for for you and your family to be sacrificed to the sun god now I imagine that most listeners 99% or more of listeners are sat there thinking that is abhorrent that is awful that is evil that is surely beyond the pale there is no way in which you can possibly defend that well in a cultural relativist view because that moral code was seriously believed by Aztecs, it is perfectly acceptable. It was perfectly acceptable within that society. Because that society deemed human sacrifice as highly moral, it was moral in that society. But because our society does not deem it to be moral, it is not moral in ours. And, and I'm very proud of Paul for doing the history section for once. Um, the, the, the commonly accepted alternative to this view of cultural relativism is moral uh, universalism. Um, the idea that there is somewhere in the world um, or somewhere in the universe an objective moral code of what is right and wrong. Um, and there are, there are varying beliefs here. Some people would argue it's just, it's just out there and we just uncover it and discover it almost kind of like brushing the dust uh, off, off a piece of writing that's already there. Um, or some people would argue for, for a constructivist view that it's something we have to build, but we can still build something which is uh, objectively and universally true. So both of these, these models are flawed in their own way. Uh, if we base tolerance on an idea of cultural and moral relativism, then we run into a problem wherein that if a culture defines something as morally correct, we must accept it as morally correct on that culture's terms and tolerate it no matter how horrendous it may be, uh, extending, for example, uh, to, to things like human sacrifice uh, or, or ritual murder. And in this model, it's very hard to criticize such practices because you are then, in effect, uh, racist or intolerant uh, of that other culture's particular set of beliefs. On the other hand, if we buy into the universalist model uh, of moral objectivism, uh, then the kind of world that we live in is one where different people who believe that they have access to the sole universal truth try to impose it on others. And that world would resemble the benevolent imperialism of, of the British Empire in the 19th century, uh, in which one culture tries to impose its will on others, believing it has access to a sole universal truth. The other thing to add to this uh, confusion before we 
try and clear things up actually is that cultural groups can be defined in diff- lots of different ways and often uh, the cultural groups that someone belongs to uh, overlap and it's not necessarily one particular thing and then we can end up tying ourselves in knots if we adopt a culturally relativist idea of tolerance for example if there exists a particular cultural group uh, amongst which homophobia is accepted and homosexuality is deemed immoral um, under a culturally relativist view of tolerance we have to tolerate that stance we have to accept that homosexuality is wrong for those people um, and to do otherwise is to impinge on their sort of cultural freedom to, to believe what they wish but that's only one way of uh, cross-sectioning that society we could equally look at it the other way round and divide society up into the cultural groups of sexualities and then ask whether they need to tolerate the views of those particular cultural groups and it's for this reason getting ourselves tied up in knots looking at tolerance this way that people often end up drawing um, sort of unassailable battle lines between different groups in society and I think a lot of liberals get very confused about how they should think about certain issues because it feels like they're being intolerant towards one particular group whichever way round. For example, uh, a lot of people believe Islam to be homophobic and don't wish to be racist or don't wish to be Islamophobic but equally don't wish to be homophobic and therefore are made very uncomfortable by stories of um, LGBT people in Muslim societies uh, being discriminated against and not knowing uh, what their particular stance on that should be. Um, But equally, of course, are uncomfortable with stories of Muslim people in societies which are largely accepting of homosexuality as something which is not morally wrong, uh, being discriminated against themselves. I don't think this distinction is particularly helpful. And the reason for that is I think it treats tolerance as something which takes place between cultures. Uh, That is to say, one culture has a particular set of moral rules or views, another culture has a different set of moral rules or views, and they should tolerate each other. Um, But there is no mention in this model of tolerance within cultural groupings. And it is worth noting, as we've pointed out so many times uh, in previous podcasts, that cultural and religious rules are not set in stone. They are not non-negotiable. They are the sum of what a particular group of people believe at any one point in time. But it is clearly empirically verifiable that what people believe culturally and religiously does change over time. That is not something that can be challenged uh, when we examine the historical record uh, and how, for example, Britain has changed over time or how something like Hinduism has changed over time. British people today don't believe in exactly the same things as they did 200 years ago. Hindus today don't believe in exactly the same things that they did a thousand years ago. Um, Groups change over time. And therefore, when we talk about tolerance, it's not just tolerance between cultural groups that we have to take account of, it's also tolerance within cultural or national or religious groupings. It's not just the, the necessity of different cultures tolerating each other, it's the necessity of different cultures and cultural groupings being internally tolerant themselves. To put that another way, the building block of tolerance, the the unit at which we need to think about tolerance, is the individual person. And that solves this seeming 
problem that we have when uh, individual groups cut across each other. So in the case of the homophobic Muslim, um, that person is being intolerant towards people of other sexualities and that person um, is problematic and we can side with freedom of sexuality against that person and argue against that person without being racist because we know that there exist millions and millions of very accepting, very open, even gay Muslims. Um, it's not a contradiction when we look at it on the level of the individual. And equally, we can go the other way and someone who is very tolerant of people of different sexualities and very accepting of people of different sexualities, but who is Islamophobic, we can also um, object to that person. We can also consider that person intolerant and it's not a contradiction because people of a particular cultural group do not all share the same views and the same opinions. Tolerance is not something we need to show to massive groups of millions of people at a time. Tolerance is something that we need to show to every individual around us. To return to the central inquiry of, of our podcast though, um, in terms of what we should tolerate or whether we should tolerate intolerant views. Uh, I think it is perfectly possible to say, as we've just pointed out, it is perfectly possible for someone who is LGBT to have intolerant views of Islam. It is perfectly possible for someone who is Muslim to have intolerant views of LGBT. Nevertheless, I don't think that for the most part, these are things which should be subject to legal restrictions because as we've said, people hold different views, people find different things morally or socially acceptable or unacceptable and unless that person is trying to enforce their views on other people I do not think there is an argument to restrict their speech by law for example uh, if an LGBT person disagrees entirely with Islam and, and believes it's an evil religion it's their prerogative to believe that likewise if a Muslim person believes that LGBT acts are disgusting and immoral it's their prerogative to believe that as long as either group is not, or either individual in this case, uh, is not trying to enshrine their beliefs in law, I do not think there is an argument to legally restrict what they are saying or what they are or what they believe, no matter how intolerant that may be. The other important corollary that comes out of this uh, view of tolerance is something shown by individuals to other individuals and not by groups to other groups, is that being intolerant is something that can happen within a group and without looking at tolerance on this individual level we can often end up ignoring a uh, massive contribution to intolerance whereby members of a group try to enforce a particular view of what it means to be part of that group on other members um, and we've talked about this before as well uh, especially in the homosexuality and religion episode um, that what it means to be part of a group is an individual's uh, belief and is an individual's idea and varies massively between different members of a group. And just as we can look at different cultural groups and say, well, well, none of those cultural groups is necessarily objectively correct about whatever moral position it is we're discussing, we can also look at individual's conception of what it means to be Christian, what it means to be American, what it means to be Japanese, whatever, um, and say, well, there is no objective standard for that, and so no one's 
individual uh, conception of it is necessarily uh, wrong. No one's individual conception of it is necessarily 100% right. And so nobody has the right to intolerantly uh, object to someone else's conception of what that means and to assert their own conception over the top of that person. I would say again, this is this is something that applies on a legal level, and when we're talking about this, uh, we're talking about whether or not there should be legal restrictions or an absence thereof. Um, one very common example of this is uh, Ahmadis, who are a, or well, this is where it gets controversial, who would define themselves as Muslims uh, and say that they are Muslims, they believe in Allah, they believe in the prophethood of uh, Muhammad, um, but they also believe that uh, more recently another prophet um, came down and gave some further additional guidance uh, which is anathema to most Muslims who believe that you know Muhammad is the seal of, of the prophets the final prophet uh, and to believe otherwise is is blasphemous and heretical so in in, term, in in terms of this it is perfectly acceptable for Sunni or, or Shia Muslims uh, to say Ahmadis aren't Muslim that's their prerogative entirely to say we don't think they're Muslim um, they they have corrupted the beliefs of what what we say is Islam, um, and that is in some respects an intolerant view. But it's their prerogative because people have different views of things. Uh, and at the same time, Amadi saying you know we're the best Muslims or we're the most complete Muslims, arguably is an intolerant view to other Muslims. But is their prerogative again? Uh, the trouble happens when we think about trying to enshrine these views into law. Uh, and particularly in Pakistan, uh, Ahmadis are very heavily discriminated against because the government enshrines the belief that they are not Muslim into law. And this has in turn led to a great deal of social persecution. And it is a two-way street. The social persecution uh, and the social views have led into the enshrining of anti-Ahmadi legislation. Um, but that is where we would draw the line in our view of tolerance and intolerance. You may disagree entirely with something. You may disagree entirely with the way that someone defines their identity or, them, or their self. Uh, and that's absolutely up to you. So, for example, if you're, if you're a deeply religious Catholic and you feel that a gay person cannot be a Catholic or a gay person is a bad Catholic, that's up to you. And if you think that other Catholics who find it acceptable uh, aren't being good Catholics either, that is also your prerogative. The problem is when such intolerances are enshrined into law. And that's what we would argue very strongly against. Uh, as in almost all cases, this leads to persecution and violence against minority groups in society. And I think that shows quite neatly that there's a certain level of arrogance involved in intolerant views, regardless of, of what particular views we're talking about. Because as we said at the start of the podcast, politics exists because lots of people have different worldviews and ideals and beliefs. And tolerance is necessary because we have these situations in which I believe X, someone else believes Y, X and Y are completely incompatible. Um, but when it's not a sort of uh, positive, objective, scientific fact about the world on which one of us might be right and the other might be wrong, when we're discussing uh, morality or metaphysics or religion, we have to admit that we cannot know absolutely 100% for certain that we are right and that other person is wrong and there's a certain level of sort of uh, strength of character and strength of belief required to show that tolerance to say well I will continue to believe what I believe uh, and my belief is in no way weakened 
by recognizing that other person's belief and uh, tolerating that other person's belief, even though I am convinced on a personal level that it is wrong, um, I know that I don't have fundamental proof of that uh, and neither do they. And so we need to show each other this mutual respect that I am just as wrong from their worldview as they are from mine. One final thing I'd like to point out is that from what we might call an outside perspective, certain cultural groups may appear to be deeply intolerant uh, of individual members within that group. For example, placing certain strictures on what they can eat, uh, what they can, or how they should dress, what they must believe, how they should act in certain ways, who they can associate with, and so on. And fundamentally, again, believing that tolerance and intolerance is the prerogative of the individual, it is not our place to say whether or not a cultural group is intolerant towards individuals within it if individuals within it have consented to abide by that way of living. We cannot, for example, say that you know uh, Islam is intolerant of women and forces women to, to, to cover up and is, is oppressive towards them if a woman has voluntarily chosen to do that and be part of that culture and part of those rules. Of course, we can say it if the woman in question has been forced, but that's a different matter. And again, comes back to the central point that when we are assessing tolerance and intolerance, we must assess it at the level of the individual and not of the culture. Absolutely. I, I do think hijab is a, is a fantastic example of, of the necessity of uh, analysing tolerance at the individual level because, uh, and it's amazing how simple this point is and how many people fail to understand this, while opposite, it is equally intolerant to judge all women in hijab as being oppressed and being forced to to cover up against their will as it is to assume that no woman wearing hijab has ever been forced to wear it or is wearing it against her will it's something that needs to be um adjudged on the individual basis and if we try to come to some grand uh theory of whether it is right and whether it is just to wear hijab or not, um, we're not going to get anywhere. That's not the point. Different people have different beliefs, and that's fine. What matters is that each person is free to act in accordance with their belief, and that every last person who believes uh, they should wear hijab wears one or is able to wear one, and every single person who believes that they don't have to and who doesn't want to doesn't have to. So to summarize a, a very long and winding and theoretical abstract discussion, um, the main points that, that, we've, that we've made here are that everyone has different views and always will. And this is equally true within groups as it is between groups. And therefore, a solution to people having different views is not to partition people into different cultural blocks because there will still be differences within those cultural blocks. And even if there aren't, they will evolve over time. And no one can really be sure that, that we are right about these cultural uh, or moral views beyond um, the principle that we should not harm others. Tolerance is therefore about accepting the legal right of other people to hold those views uh, and act as they will, even if what that is is completely diametrically opposed to our own beliefs. And what we would say intolerant views are, or intolerant views uh, which should not be tolerated, are views which seek to remove those rights from others and assert one particular view is objectively correct and should be enshrined with the force of law. A tolerant society, which is also a free society 
and an ideal society and really the only way that in in any uh, any part of the world you could have a peaceful society in the long run requires us not to tolerate intolerant views it does not require us to all agree with each other it does not require us um, to state or, or, or to profess a moral agreement with the morals and the values of people we don't agree with but it does require us to believe that their right to act and believe as they will should always be enshrined in law and views which seek to undermine that are dangerously intolerant and in our view should not be tolerated of course within that tolerant society it's still perfectly acceptable and in fact highly necessary that we do have those discussions and we do air those uh, differences and grievances and we do have that dialogue and we do have that dialogue absolutely so if you uh, if you disagree with anything that we've said so far in this episode uh, if there's anything that you think we should have included or if there's anything that you'd like us to talk about in the future please do dialogue with us uh, you can do that via Twitter. Our handle is at underscore the violet underscore. You can email us at contact.theviolet at gmail.com or you can visit our website www.theviolet.net. Regardless, we hope you tune in next week for more hopefully insightful comments and cheesy segues. Thanks for listening.